0: All right. Good morning, Transit family. How you all doing today? Good good to see you all. How about winter making one last comeback, huh? <laughs> Going down swinging. But I like that because I get to wear my favorite Coleman flannel. So uh, uh, all that to say, if you are new at the Transit, and I haven't met you yet, my name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. Open up your Bibles to Matthew 5. Matthew 5 verses 21 through 26. We're continuing a series looking at Jesus' most famous teaching entitled the Sermon on the Mount, and the little subtitle we've given to it is Kingdom Ethics. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read our text today uh, and then pray and dive on in. So Matthew 21 through 26, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we just come before you so grateful, God, for your love for us, that you're both the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. We thank you that you're present with us now by your spirit. And just pray that you, Holy Spirit, would come and have your way with our hearts, God, where there's brokenness, where there's woundedness. Some of, some of us have come here and walked through extremely difficult life circumstances. And uh, today we've we'll been talking about resentment and anger, Lord Jesus. And, and I just pray that your beautiful kingdom of peace and healing and of hope and love would break into hardened hearts. People that have been wronged, people that have been abandoned, and neglected, God, that you would come and they feel your love, God. And you bring healing to their brokenness. And miracles would happen today where forgiveness, God, where people have harbored bitterness and resentment towards those who have, who have wronged them, that your precious gift of forgiveness and healing would come to their hearts, God. So let your kingdom come and let your will be done today for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, last week, uh, if you were here, we looked at Jesus' famous declaration where he said uh, that I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill everything that's in the law and the prophets, the Old Testament scriptures. And what we looked at last week is Jesus here is clearing the air, that there's kind of a fake news, misinformation campaign that was trending on social media during the time of Christ. There wasn't social media, just in case you don't know that, um, back then, but... uh, And what he's saying is, the misinformation campaign about him was saying that Jesus is nullifying the Old Testament. He's pitting his teaching up against the Old Testament. He's violating the Sabbath by healing on the Sabbath. His disciples are not washing their hands and following all these traditions and customs, okay? And Jesus gives his blanket endorsement on all of the Old Testament. He says, I fully endorse all of God's law. And by the way, I'm the perfect fulfillment, Of God's law. And so what we're gonna be talking about today is a continuation of that statement, Jesus saying that I came to fulfill the law. So if you didn't catch last week's sermon, go uh, listen to that. But see what's interesting, the reason I kind of hone in on that, what's interesting is that the way our text starts today is it seems as if Jesus completely contradicts everything he just said, right? Like if you look at verse 21 of our text, Jesus quotes the sixth commandment given by God to moses on mount sinai which is thou shalt not murder and jesus has this refrain we're going to see this refrain six times in the sermon on the mount we're going to be looking at for the next six weeks we're going to be looking at this these six refrains of jesus where he says you have heard it was said and then he inserts what sounds like god's law and then he says but i say to you this And so today we're looking at Jesus saying, you have heard it was said, thou shalt not murder, but I say to you, and then he gives his interpretation and application of that. So at first glance, when we hear that, it sounds like Jesus here is kind of pitting his teaching against the Old Testament law and that he's offering his followers something kind of new and different, right? That's conflicting from the the mean God of the Old Testament, and uh, so I am married with three kids and my wife, uh, I had permission to share this story in case this sounds like something a mean husband would do. I got permission. She thought it was hilarious and hopefully you do too. Um, my, wife is a, <laughs> my wife is a super healthy eater. Okay, due to health reasons, uh, starting January 2021, like full pescatarian. If you don't know what pescatarian is, I don't either, but um, <laughs> you only eat fish and veggies. Okay, so in our kitchen, um, my wife is harvesting kombucha. Y'all know what kombucha is? It looks like something from a sci-fi movie. It's a living organism in a brown, watery mason jar. It looks like it's going to fly out of that and like attach to your face. Anyways, and then, and then there's also these things she's growing in the kitchen called broccoli sprouts. Anyone here at a broccoli sprout? Before, like super healthy. Like she tries to sneak down and like, sprinkle it on my coffee, you know, get me healthy and stuff, you know. So, you know. like, get that out of here. I don't like that. And so because my wife is a super healthy eater, my kids... Eat like Olympic athletes, man. Like they're like, everything's grass-fed, free-range. Lunch is like freshly cut organic red peppers with freshly made hummus and tahini with organic lemon squeezed on. I mean, just like, crazy, okay? And so I was born in the late '80s, grew up in the '90s, and I turned out all right, okay? Let me just say that. I think so. I was bald when I was like 14, but I don't know if that has anything to do with diet, but. I ate, like, you know, bologna sandwiches on white bread with two tablespoons of mayo and chased that with, like, tater tots and fish sticks. And that was my diet, okay? Right, someone's preaching. Someone's, like, say, it. say preach, Nick. All right, so, so given the rare, uh, the rare times I have the authority to speak into my kid's diet, I bust out something to this effect. You have heard it was said uh, that you cannot have red meat and dairy. But I say to you, get your shoes on. We're going to McDonald's (laughs) for some quarter pounders with cheese and some ice cream sundaes. Okay. And so, yeah, uh, the reason I share that is this, is it kind of sounds like that's what Jesus is doing. Right. It's like, it's like, it's like we're the kid's stuck in the middle between two old covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant Jesus is ushering in. And it sounds like Jesus is giving conflicting advice or he's pitting himself against that and offering something new and different. And you're as a kid, you're like, wait. Should I eat this? Or like, what's going on here? And and what's so important, the reason I want to hone in on this is because there's a lot that's trending now um, in this kind of age of deconstructing our faith of trying to unhitch Jesus from the Old Testament. And so what we'll do is we'll read into what we want Jesus to say here, and he's not saying what what some of us might want him to say about the Old Testament. Jesus said, all of the Old Testament is from God. It's completely trustworthy. Every dot and iota he said last week. And so his talk today, what he's leading into now, leading up to where we're at in our text today, is a continuation of of that thought. What Jesus is pitting himself against is the pharisaical misinterpretation and misapplication of God's law. And so for the next six weeks, we'll see Jesus talk uh, about topics like um, murder. Next week, we're going to be talking about uh, lust and adultery. Uh, Then divorce and oaths, retaliation and uh, your enemies and how you should interact with your enemies. And Jesus here, he's reclaiming the authority. He's taking it from the Pharisees who've been leading God's people astray, and he's not giving God's people, Jesus here on the Sermon on the Mount, he's not giving them something new and different, but he's giving them the true and the full meaning of God's law that has been there the whole time. And uh, the key for us understanding what Jesus is getting out here is, um, is when he says this, completely lost myself in my notes, which is awesome. How do we know? How do we know that that's what Jesus is doing? Because instead of saying, it is written, Jesus says, you have heard. You tracking with me? So Jesus throughout the gospel says, it is written. And he speaks to people's eyes, what they've seen on the scrolls of Holy Scripture. This refrain six times is, you have heard. And so what Jesus is saying is, your ears, he's speaking to the ears, your ears have heard other people, Pharisees, speak on behalf of God's law or add God's law. You have heard that. But I say to you, I, being the single most important, important word in our text, the authority of Christ, the word of Christ, God made flesh and dwelt among us, he's going to say something. So he's saying, I supersede the authority of the religious leaders, your Pharisees and scribes, who have taught you what is false, and they've misapplied and misinterpreted God's law and God's heart. But I say to you this, I'm going to draw out, I'm going to fulfill the law of God in my teaching and drawing out the full meaning and application to our lives in God's law. And so today, uh, the false teaching that Jesus is coming against, the false understanding, is in regards to the sixth commandment. He says, you've heard it said, but he quotes the Old Testament here, and he's not pitting himself against God's law. He's quoting himself, he's pitting himself against the Pharisees who've misinterpreted and misapplied the sixth commandment. Okay, and he's going to draw out the deeper meaning. And so it begs the question, when Jesus starts out his, uh, his sermon here, as he, shifts, as he kind of shifts into these six social commands, we need to ask the question, Jesus, why lead off with this commandment? Of all the commands that you could start off with, why lead off with the one about thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder? Um, and I think the simple reason is this, is because the sixth command is the one that nobody thinks they've ever violated. That's the one where everyone's like, I have perfectly fulfilled that because these hands have never committed murder. So for example, to, to land the plane to the 21st century application, if I got up here today and I said, hey, today's sermon is for murderers and for those struggling with murder, you'd all be like, this is a waste of time. Like, what? Like, are you serious, Nick? You actually think that like, people in your church struggle with murder? Like This doesn't apply. Nick, what are you getting at? right? And yet what Jesus is doing here is, um, is revealing this. He's revealing our pharisaical misunderstanding of God's law in this sermon. That's what he's doing. If that's our thinking, saying, hey, this sermon is for murderers and for those struggling with murder doesn't apply to us. Jesus is saying, well, 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 hold on a minute. Let's talk about your mind and let's talk about your hearts, because we often have this false thinking that God only cares about outward obedience, but that God doesn't care about or see internal motives. Uh, Somewhere along the line, we believe that God only cares about what our hands are doing, not what our mind is thinking and what our heart is feeling, right? We just think God cares about this. God doesn't care about this and this. God, what Jesus Christ came to do is saying, What's been there all along in the Old Testament is God cares about your heart. God is after your heart. He wants to heal your heart. He wants to redeem your heart. He wants to flood your heart with his spirit and cleanse your heart from all unrighteousness. And out of that new creation, that new life that happens by his grace to us and crying out for salvation, then our hands begin to do different things and then our mouth begins to speak other things. Things. and the result of this pharisaical thinking, the result of this bad theology where we think God doesn't see our hearts and God doesn't care about what our minds are thinking, is we then try to live like magical magicians before God, right? Anyone here like watching magic shows? Okay, so before God, we, we, we kind of have this pharisaical uh, uh, magical performance that we put on before God, okay, where we put on our tuxedo with the bow tie, uh, we get on stage before god we play the final countdown Da-na-na-na-na. right and we say god pick a card any card any card pick a card any card any card watch what my hands are doing okay okay that's your card okay i see your card magic shuffle behind the back and then secretly we pull out the queen of diamonds we put it in the deck and we show god and we say is this your card the queen of diamonds yes it is give it up for me god yeah. you know like all that stuff and god's looking at us and he's saying you really don't think that i just saw that you pulled that out of your back pocket You think you can pull a fast one on me? That like that like you're doing all this like, look, God, I went to church and then I went to community group, but secretly I want to like just lash out at my neighbor and rage because they're I don't know. Whatever you're mad at neighbor for, right? And so so we need to understand that before an omniscient, all seeing, all knowing God, that our minds and hearts are completely laid bare before him. Like, there's no clearing your internet search history in your mind before God. Like, he sees it all. He knows it all. And um, that's what leads Jesus to say this next. I think if I were to summarize what Jesus is going to say next in our text in verse 22, Jesus says this, that the all-seeing God sees all the murderous rage that's in our heart. And that's what God cares about, it's our hearts. And this is what he says in verse 22. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. What Jesus is saying here is wild, is wild. He is saying that everyone, there are no exceptions. There are no exceptions. Everyone, since it got quiet here, Thank you, Eric. Just got real. Uh, everyone, no exceptions, who is simply angry with his brother, watch this, is liable to the same judgment of one guilty of first-degree murder. The, the, the fires of hell, God's wrath against our sin, his just wrath, our separation from the goodness of God and his just wrath against our wickedness. Jesus says if that's in your heart, you're liable to the same judgment as those who transgress the sixth commandment by taking innocent life. And so Jesus pushes, Jesus pulls no punches here. And here's what he does is we often like to keep God and we like to keep God's commands at, at arm's length. And so we keep his commands just in our hands. And what Jesus does with what he just said here is he, he takes the commands from our hands and he thrusts them to our heart. He pushes them against our heart. And he says, now can you stand before God and let me ask you the question, do you think you're not guilty of murder? As he takes God's law that we like to keep just on an external basis and he goes all the way to our internal heart motives and what our thoughts are thinking and he says, do you now think that you're not guilty of murder before before a holy and just God who can see everything? Have you ever had seething, vitriolic anger for somebody? Have you nursed certain thoughts of, revenge and and retaliation, playing that scenario over and over again in your head? Have you tried to kill someone with your words, not your hands, but your words, and curse them and call them a fool and a buffoon or a moron or something that I can't say from the pulpit, okay? And so Jesus here doesn't change the definition of murder. He changes the location of it. He changes the location of it. We think murderers kill people with their hands and Jesus says murderers kill people with their internal rage and anger. That murder happens here and then it recruits your hands in your mouth. Then it recruits your hands. So it doesn't change the definition, it changes the location of the act. And you might be saying, Nick, come on, man. This is an over-exaggeration. You need to relax. And my response to that would be, I didn't say any of this. Jesus Christ did. Okay? And so if you have an issue, take it up with him. And, and the response that I think what Jesus is seeking to birth out of his followers, to birth out of his followers, is for us to finally understand how much of desperate need we are of the grace of God. He's trying to, to land the plane to see, do before a holy and just God, do you understand how much you need grace? You before God, not you before your fellow man and comparing yourself to actual murderers, to actual thieves or whatever. No, 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 you, your hearts, your thoughts before a holy God laid bare. Jesus saying, you need grace just as much as anyone else needs grace. The cross of Jesus Christ, the gospel completely levels the playing field and we are all fallen short of the glory of God and we all are in need of grace. His mercy and His grace so that our cry is not look at me, look at all the good I do, it's have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. Blessed are the poor, the bankrupt in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And I've heard a, a New Testament scholar write this. He said, every command of God is an evangelist. Every command we read in the Sermon on the Mount thrusts us to the feet of Jesus, one, crying out for forgiveness because we fall short, but then also, two, for his grace by his Holy Spirit to empower us to live out and walk out the the newness of life, that we can't think we can do this on our our own. One, we've transgressed it. We don't live up to this standard. I mean, I I don't think anyone had the audacity to raise their hand and say, oh, I've never been angry at anyone before, right? Like some of you might need to leave and get reconciled with your spouse because you had a little tiff on the way way to the church here, right? um none of all of us have transgressed all this have fallen short and so um if we were to ask okay well jesus we understand we talked about this last week how the law reveals as a mirror and it reveals our desperate need for forgiveness and redemption but there's something else that i think jesus is drawing out to here when, when, when he's trying to get us to understand our need of grace and i was praying and i was kind of wrestling with the text this week and i go jesus why why crush us with the gospel? Like, I get it, we need salvation, but what is it unto? And then I kind of have this thought of, well, the greatest commandment, right, is to love God and to love others. We see that, like, that was the chief revelation of, of Christ, is that it's all about, it's not just about obedience, it's about love of God and love for your fellow man. Jesus says all of the law, the prophets, and the Psalms hang on this. And if that's the chief ethic that King Jesus wants us to walk in, well, here's the bottom line. It's, it's virtually impossible to love other imperfect sinners if you think you're a flawless saint. It's really, really hard to have compassion and grace for people if you don't have any need for grace. Like, like before God, if I think, before God's law, if I am self-righteous and I think like I'm moonwalking, you know what I'm talking about? Like my Christian walk is like moonwalking and I can follow them just walking backwards and I'm just like pumping my fist, you know, and doing like that, like, like I got this thing. I got this Christian thing down, dude. And if everyone would just be like me and how holy and righteous I am, then the world would be a better place. And so, so when, that, when we have that heart posture towards our God and his law, it immediately leads to this view where I'm on this stage on this platform and I'm looking down in disgust for people who can't moonwalk when they're crawling, barely moving an inch in obedience to God's law. And, and, and that keeps us from loving those who Jesus loved. Exhibit A, the Pharisees. Mark 2, verses will be on the screen. Jesus calls a tax collector. Tax collectors were thieves. They were hated by God's people, uh, so on and so forth. And so Jesus now is feasting with Levi and uh, the scribes and Pharisees start chirping at Jesus. And this is what they say. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors. If you are here today and you're feeling crushed by this sermon, Jesus wants to feast with you. Jesus wants to fellowship with you. Jesus wants to get your resentment and bitterness out of your heart so that you can better fellowship with him today. So understand that gospel, that the the forgiveness of sins, conviction of sins, leads to table fellowship with Jesus. Okay? So Jesus wants to feast with you if you're guilty of rage and murder and unforgiveness. Jesus wants to set you free from that and to feast with you, because that's who Jesus feasted with, tax collectors and sinners like you and me. And they said to his disciples, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? We're the ones moonwalking over here. I've memorized the Torah. I tithe my spice rack. I say lengthy prayers. We're moonwalking over here. Why is he hanging out with those crawling in the dust who can't get their act together like we can? And this is what Jesus says. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but to sinners. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. That's the work that Jesus Christ came to do. And so when you Say that you are a follower of Jesus, what you are saying is that I'm 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 not I was not righteous because Jesus didn't call the righteous. So if you think that you are righteous outside of your need for grace and the imputed righteousness of Christ, then then you then you aren't understanding the gospel. And you very well might not be a Christian if you don't understand how this thing works. Right? Because Jesus came to call sinners. Sinners like you and me who couldn't get their act together, and so we cry out in faith, Jesus, save us. We need a savior. And out of that, those who have been forgiven much, what do they do? They forgive much. They love much. Those who have been shown a lot of grace extend grace to others. Those who don't think they need an ounce of grace because they're perfectly obeying the law give judgment and harshness and criticism to others. That's what they export to others. And this is the danger of self-righteousness. It keeps us from loving those that Jesus loves. When he says, go and visit the incarcerated in Matthew 25, but we have the refrain of, I would never murder anyone. They have that coming. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. Why would I go to murderers and thieves and share the hope of Jesus with them? Because I'm a sinner who's been redeemed. And though my sin might have manifested differently, I'm in the same boat as they are. And but for the grace of God, I am what I am. And so Jesus says, go. Because the refrain for the Christian is is never, I would never. The refrain of, of the gospel, what Jesus is saying is you already have. You already have and you need forgiveness. We all need forgiveness. That's the message of the gospel. And tragically, how often is our refrain is, I would never. I would never. So there's no compassion for the broken. There's no compassion for the sinner. When Christ clothed himself in compassion for us, and while we were his enemies and didn't deserve his love, he died for us to model for us how we now are to love our fellow man and so all to say when we understand anger in the context of the greatest commandment we begin to see how truly evil our internal anger is because our internal murderous rage and resentment and anger is the exact opposite of what heaven values internal anger and hatred for your fellow man is not the way of christ it's the way of the devil the chief ethic of the kingdom of God is love. The chief ethic of the kingdom of darkness, the devil who exists and he has a kingdom and he's, and he's, he's influencing this world for the time being, the, the chief ethic of that kingdom is hatred. So when you harbor hatred in your heart for other people, you're, you're, you're linking elbows with a different kingdom as a citizen of the kingdom. The chief ethic, the chief heart posture, the chief heart posture of the kingdom of God is humility, is humility, meekness, and the chief posture of the kingdom of darkness is pride is pride. So if we were to ask then, well, what is the source of anger? What's the deal, big deal with anger? What is anger? Anger is a lordship issue. The source of anger is pride. Anger is all about how you view yourself before God and before others. Let me illustrate it this way. If you view yourself as the apex and the center of the world, then everyone and everything exists for you. And so then anger is the response when your servants meaning everybody else, your servants don't do what you've commanded them to do. They exist to serve you and make you happy. Anger is what happens when your servants and then your circumstances, which exist to obey your sovereign will and make you happy and comfortable all the time, when they don't bend their knee to your lordship, you freak out. That's what anger is. Anger is this about who do you call Lord. Anger's prayer is this. Anger's prayer is this, is my name be hallowed my kingdom come, my will be done. And if you don't think you have an anger issue, I would just ask this. What happens when your will doesn't happen? You got something planned, you had an expectation for the day, and then something happens and somebody hijacks it and takes it. How do you respond, right? Traffic, exhibit A, (laughs) right? Like the audacity when we hit traffic to freak out, bend the steering wheel, vein bulging in the forehead saying, what are all these people doing on my road? Like, we, we think we're the Pope and need an armed escort to get to where we're going, right? And, and then having the audacity to not think, I'm contributing to the traffic problem. <laughs> there's two miles of people backed up behind me saying the exact same thing about me, right? It's crazy. It's a lordship issue. Anger's prayer is, my name be hallowed, my will be done, my kingdom come, and when others threaten my lordship, when my lordship is threatened, then I lash out in control, there's a fear that that I'm being dethroned, and so I lash out in anger to control my circumstances, to control my reign and rule through my anger, through my lashing out, through my control, through my rage. That's how I control my kingly reign and rule. Anger is how I take control and make people pay for violating my precious commandments and my precious will. And so then the biggest key in moments of anger is asking this question, who's the Lord in this scenario? Who's king in my anger? Who's lord in this situation right now? And then what you do is you immediately invite the king of kings and the lord of lords into your anger. And maybe you get on your face, maybe you're at home, and your kids are maybe pushing all the buttons that you know are going to make you like a grenade with a pin pulled, and you're just like, oh my gosh. Take a moment, get on your face to king Jesus, and say, Jesus, you're king. You're lord. What do you have to say? What are you teaching me in this? in this commute. What are you teaching me right here with these circumstances that aren't aligning with what I want? What are you teaching me in this conflict where I, I maybe had a conflict with, with my spouse, but clearly it was just because I had a will and a plan that they didn't follow and that's why I'm Jesus, humble me, right? Invite in the presence of God. We have access to the throne to draw near, not when we're moonwalking everywhere, but to draw near when we're broken and afflicted and confused and sorrowful over our sins. And then Jesus comes and said, thank you, you came to the right doctor. You came to the great physician okay? And one of the primary ways, going back to how we make people pay with our anger, one of the primary ways we make others pay is not necessarily through violence against them with our hands, but it's through harboring resentment in our hearts. It's harboring resentment in our hearts. In the Greek, Jesus says, when, he's taught, when Jesus uses that word angry, the tense of that, it's a present participle. When he says anyone who is angry, it should be like an ing on the end of that. Anyone who is angering. A better translation might be um, anyone who is carrying anger, carrying anger. And so it's not just violent outbursts of rage that Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus, those are, obviously, Jesus is not condoning that. Uh, but what Jesus, I think, is getting at here is the long, slow, crockpot burn of carrying resentment internally. I think a beautiful definition of resentment and bitterness, which the scriptures continually command us not to touch because it's dangerous, I think a great definition is carried anger. Resentment is carried anger. It's nursing a grudge against someone rather than releasing forgiveness. And what's clearly taught in scripture is that that um, uh, harboring resentment, refusing to forgive others who've wronged you has devastating consequences, right? You've all heard the line that that unforgiveness is like drinking Poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's drinking poison and expecting it to kill the other person when you choose not to forgive those who have wronged you. And some of us have been drinking that poison for years, some of us have been drinking that poison for decades. And it's killing us, and it's killing us. And today is a beautiful invitation for you to release that to Jesus and get healed and free from the shackles and the bondage of internal resentment and rage. This is what Frederick Bruner says. This is a great quote about resentment. Out of this cesspool, he talks about resentment, the cesspool, resentment and rage in our hearts. hisses the careless or bitter word, and both the pool and its effusion poison others, and in some cases lead to death. Resentment and hard words kill more people than drugs, alcohol, or tobacco combined. There are more pollutants in the world than we think. And Jesus performs a major act of public health and ecology when, watch this, when he bans this source of sickness and damnation from his community. I love that last line, Jesus bans this poison. Jesus bans this toxin from the community of the saints. Why? Because resentment and internal anger is of the ecosystem of hell and not the ecosystem of heaven. It's of the ecosystem of hell and not the ecosystem of heaven. It's how we, through internal anger, I'm not talking about righteous anger, okay? Jesus doesn't mention once righteous anger in here. We all know what he's talking about, okay? Um, The scriptures say in Ephesians 4, be angry and do not sin. So there is a place for righteous anger. I just think that what you post on social media isn't always righteous anger, okay? And I don't think the Lord does either. And tragically, the, Lord's, the, the church in the West has been known for their righteous anger, not for their white-hot love for the lost. And that's a tragedy. Are you more angry or are you more filled with love for the lost? Are you more ticked off at the lost are you weeping for the lost? Like, I think we need to get over our righteous anger and start weeping for what Jesus weeps about and be known for his love, his compassion, as well as his conviction. But may we clothe our convictions in the compassion of Christ. Um, so we pull hell up into our lives through resentment and bitterness. It not only brings misery internally and to others, but it also invites demonic presence into our lives. Ephesians 4:26 says, "This do not let the sun go down on your anger." That command there is saying, "Don't carry anger longer than like uh, you carry a hot potato, because that thing's dangerous." Don't don't carry anger. Don't harbor resentment. Get reconciled loose forgiveness. If you hold on to that hot potato, it's going to burn you. It's a fire. And that like stop, drop, and roll is the commandment whenever you're offended. Like get on your face and for release forgiveness and seek reconcilia- re- reconciliation as fast as you can because that fire is going to grow and consume your entire house if you don't. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't carry that anger longer than, than you'd carry a hot potato. And give no opportunity, no platform, no tapas, no geographical location for the enemy to oppress you by creating a wide-open door for the enemy to come and oppress you, by linking arms with him and aligning yourself with the kingdom of darkness through hatred and resentment and bitterness, rather than linking yourself, uh, clothing yourself in the compassion and tender hardness and forgiveness of Christ, okay? And so in contrast to—and I'm wrapping up with this— in contrast to pulling hell, pulling hell, literally inviting demonic misery into our lives, pulling hell up through our internal anger and rage, Jesus invites us to pull heaven down, to pull this beautiful, heavenly ethic, this heavenly reality down through forgiveness and reconciliation. This is how the world has changed. This is how the kingdom advances. This is how the gospel is illustrated through us pulling the heavenly, beautiful, heavenly reality, that place where there's no anger, there's no more murder, there's no malice, there's no spite, and we come and we get that out of our hearts and we release reconciliation and forgiveness to those around us. Verses 23 through 26. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and judge the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And so I love this illustration. Jesus, if we we're to uh, uh, fast forward at 2,000 years to our context right now, what Jesus is saying is you, if you're at a Sunday worship gathering, if you're at church, your hands are raised in worship, you're singing Waymaker to the glory of God, all this stuff, and then you remember that, oh my gosh, I was a huge jerk to uh, my brother. Say, like, my actual brother. Jesus is talking about brother, like, male, female, it's a colloquial saying just like the other, okay? I was a huge jerk to my brother last week at that party. We fought, all this stuff, and I've been carrying that resentment all week, and the Holy Spirit puts that on my heart. Jesus says this. He says... You, you leave right now. Like, and if you need to walk out, and go get right, go, go do that. <laughs> but like, you leave, and, 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 you, and like you have your check in your back pocket to offer, to bring your tithes and offering to God. And Jesus says, he says that's well and good, but there's a priority that, that supersedes that, and it's you go, and you leave right now, and you go talk to your brother, and you go right with him, and then come back and do that. Okay? And so what Jesus is highlighting here is he's saying, this is how big of a deal this is to King Jesus. This is how big of a deal it is for us as kingdom citizens to embody ourselves with kingdom ethics of love and forgiveness and tenderheartedness and kindness and compassion. And as much as it depends on us to live at peace with everyone. So one, a couple of things Jesus is highlighting here. One, in this illustration, he li- highlights the personal and relational consequences of our resentment and illustrates that they can, uh, they can be devastating, both here and now and forever the two words that he uses he says first and quickly first go do this this takes priority of you coming to church getting right with your brother then come to church and then do it quickly as fast as you can and the example he shares is this is if you don't do this quickly that bad boy like a little snowball at the top of a hill if you don't if you don't get that thing under control quickly Like that will build and build and build and the consequences will be ruin and misery in your life and the life of others. And Jesus here is just speaking truth. He's speaking truth. We all know uh, through resentment, I mean, goodness gracious, Hatfields and McCoys, right? Generational warfare between families. We've seen families blow up. Uh, In 2020, I know some pastors, their churches exploded in a bad sense simply because of of, of resentment and anger and people not getting face-to-face and talking things out and it's a tragedy it's a tragedy what we see on social media what we're seeing in the church and jesus even says poverty and imprisonment come from this this is how dangerous dangerous this is and the second thing what he illustrates i believe in this illustration is jesus says the resentment internal resentment hinders your fellowship with god it hinders your communion your fellowship with god again remember we talked about this before Uh, Our eternal union, our standing, our status before God can never change, but our experiential communion, our relationship with him can. The scriptures clearly illustrate that through willful, unrepentant sin that we can quench the Holy Spirit and we can grieve the Holy Spirit who's inside of us. Okay? And what God is saying, or what Jesus is saying here, is that we are to leave God's temple and offering to get right with our brother. That's how important that is today. And so I have, like I have said, I have three kids, and say, for example, that it was my birthday and my oldest daughter, who's going to turn six in April, uh, wrote me this beautiful song to her daddy for her birthday and wrote me a card and got me a gift and all that stuff. And it's like, daddy, you know, you're the best, you're the coolest daddy, the strongest daddy, the most handsome daddy. and You know, I don't know, maybe I'll help her read. Anyways, um, <laughs> and, and I would say, and like this comes on the, 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 the tail end of a day where she's been a complete jerk to my second oldest, Steffi, who's like about to be four. And Steffi's crying in the corner, weeping because of how mean Kelsey's been to her. And Kelsey's coming to me, the father, and writing this song and offering this gift and thinking that I don't care about her, her life outside the church. Thinking I don't care about how she's treated others. Thinking that, thinking that I don't care about how her faith manifests horizontally in how she treats others. That she can just come in here and sing some songs and, and put some, slap some money on the table and then go live like a jerk the rest of the week. And so for me, I would say, hey, hey, Kelsey, like, let me, like, one, that song's awesome. I really like that song, by the way. But, um, but two, most importantly, let's stop this. You got something to take care of. You're not embodying love like I've commanded you to do. And so why don't you go get right and reconcile? And I would love to fellowship with you. I'd, I'd love your offering. I would love to rejoice and sing with you, but you need to first go get right with your daughter, right? And so some of us leading to the application, some of us need to do that today. By the empowerment of the Spirit, when we're wronged, we now have, thanks to Jesus, the choice to pull heaven down into our lives through releasing forgiveness and seeking reconciliation with others. So let's, uh, I'm going to call up the band and then conclude with a, a couple applications. Band, you can come on up here. Um, first my question would be this is who today are you carrying anger against who have you been carrying anger and rage and resentment against maybe for years maybe for decades christ's heart for you is a heart of compassion he wants what's best for you he wants you walking in the, the lightness of forgiveness, the joy of forgiveness, the joy of a clean heart. And Jesus sees the pain that's happened to you. Maybe there's, maybe there's parents who owe you an entirely different childhood than they gave you. And Christ sees that. He sees that pain. But the two options that we always face with offense, no matter how grievous, no matter how grievous, is we, we can either pull hell up into our lives or we can invite Jesus to come and get healing and health through forgiveness by the power of his spirit. And often we've kind of understood how forgiveness works. I think some of us in my life, I thought forgiveness was like, you just declare forgiveness and then it works. Like Michael Scott declaring bankruptcy, you know, like I declare forgiveness over this person and it doesn't work and you're still angry, right? And you don't know how it works. And so the way forgiveness works is this, the way the resentment works is this. If this person offended me, and here's the only just judge, King Jesus, seated on the throne, okay? Here it is. Here's the offended party. Here's me. And what I do is I say, I'm Lord, they offended me, and I'm Lord and judge. So you know what, Jesus, I'm going to get you off the throne, and boom, I'm going to insert myself right here. And I'm going to be the judge over this person. And I'm going to harbor this resentment so I know they don't get away with it. Because I'm the judge. I'll make sure they don't get away with it. So then, what forgiveness has to be then is saying, Jesus, I am a sinner as, in regards to the fact that, that I've tried to, to, to thrust you off the throne of being the, the only righteous judge. And I've been the judge over this person. So I need to back it away and realize that the, the way this works is that I'm on an equal playing field with this other person I'm offended at before the only true just judge, okay? So, so it's, it's saying, Jesus going to king jesus saying i release this person into your hands because you're a better judge you're a better judge than i am here's 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 the offense here's what they've taken from me they've stolen my childhood they've stolen my reputation maybe they've actually stolen money from me maybe they've caused physical pain and trauma and harm jesus they've taken this from me and it hurts and i've been harboring resentment and rage against it but jesus i lay it all at your feet i can't handle this anymore i don't want to handle this anymore i want to be set free from these shackles and you're a better judge, you're a righteous judge. And you pray a prayer of blessing. You say, Jesus, I give this to you. I step off the throne as judge, and I ask for your forgiveness against me and my transgressions. And just as much as I want you to extend mercy for my sins, I ask Jesus, you give them mercy too. That's what forgiveness is: is you stepping off the throne and you releasing your judgments and handing that person over to Jesus, the just judge, judge, and saying, Jesus, you handle the books. You handle the books. I'm getting my fingers off the Excel sheets of all their their transgressions, okay? So do that today. Who's who's that person? Who are those couple of people that you need to forgive today? Forgiveness starts today. It starts with us and it can start now. Romans 14, 10 through 13 says this. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will, watch this. This is the illustration I was getting at. We will all stand before the judgment seat of of God. For it is written, as i live says the lord every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to god so then each of us will give an account of himself to god therefore watch this let us not pass judgment on one another any longer he's saying let it stop today let it end today we will all stand before the true judge and crying out for mercy so let us stop this game of of passing judgment on one another but rather decide to never put a stumbling block or a hindrance the way of a brother and the second question would be this is it's not just forgiveness but who do we need to reconcile with today in some situations reconciliation is completely impossible because the person that we're offended with might have passed away or that person doesn't want to get reconciled with us right reconciliation is only possible when, when two parties want to seek that reconciliation but the truth of the matter is this is one somebody in that offense needs to make the first step needs to make the first move and as jesus made the first step in our reconciliation to god the father let us as followers of jesus be the first to make the first step of reconciliation loving and apologizing to those that we've wronged and hurt and seeking peace because jesus says in matthew 5 blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called, called sons of god and romans twelve eighteen says this i love the way this states it if possible so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all if possible might not be possible to live peaceably with all but as much as it depends on us what jesus is saying in the sermon on the mount is live peaceably so who do we need to make a phone call to today maybe a distant relative or parent call them up grab coffee with them and if there's things that we need to own and to ask forgiveness for then let's do that today for the glory of jesus because the reason we're gathered today and i am concluding The reason we're gathered today is to not hear a good sermon. The question that that we need to ask ourselves when we come to church on a Sunday morning is what am I seeking by coming here? Am I fixing my gaze on Jesus? Am I seeking by the power of his spirit to be a follower, to receive fresh forgiveness? to to commune and to fellowship with him. am i just here to hear cool teaching on the sermon on the mount or am i here saying jesus i want to glorify you in my life and align my will to your will as lord in my life and if it's the latter then all of us here have a have a response that we have to do it's called repentance and faith and so with that said i'm going to go silent and i'm going to give us a time to seek the lord and then i'm going to um, conclude with communion and worship so let's respond in prayer you all can take a moment with the Lord and uh, I'll, I'll pray for us and then conclude with communion. slander be put away from you, along with all malice. I ask, Holy Spirit, you come and you do a cleansing work in our hearts, a cleansing work in our hearts, God, for all the conflicts we face this week, all the anger we're harboring, the slander that's come out of our mouths, God, would you come, Holy Spirit, and we ask for forgiveness. Have mercy on us, O God. Have mercy on us, God. Fill us with your spirit. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you come and convict. You don't come to condemn. You come to convict. You come to reveal sin, to heal our broken hearts. So do that, Lord. We're blinded to our bitterness, God. I pray right now that you would bring people to mind that maybe we've forgotten about, people who've wronged us, people that we're angry at. God, would you bring people to mind? And I pray, God, that your people right now would take your word seriously, Jesus. We wouldn't take your commands lightly and relax them, but that we would release forgiveness out of our hearts today. That all of it would stop today. All of it would end today. And that precious forgiveness would be released. And Jesus, you don't invite us, you don't don't convict us and call us to just stop pulling hell into our lives. You invite us to something far more beautiful. And you say, we have the opportunity now, because of what you've done, to bring heaven into our lives. And then in verse 32, you say this, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. Why? Why should we forgive one another? As God in Christ forgave you, So we rejoice, Father, now in your forgiveness that you've lavished upon us, that you're a God who's slow to anger in our lives. You're a God who's been kind to us. You're a God who's been tender-hearted to us. You're a God who's forgiven us time and time again. And you've seen the deep, dark recesses of our hearts and our thoughts. And even in spite of that, you still love us and you still forgive us. Because you're a compassionate God. You're a merciful God. And so we say, thank you, Jesus, for your compassion and mercy. And maybe your kindness that leads us to repentance. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. And amen.